welcome to the Wanderlust Journal podcast, based upon great storytelling. We'll be sharing adventures, recommendations, and tips for the aspiring writer. I'm your host, Sarah Leamy. I am a wanderer since I was a teenager hitching across France. I usually travel alone with dogs and in various vehicles. I'm the author of Van Life, Bring a Chainsaw, and numerous others. And I have a master's degree in writing and publishing, so you are in good hands today. If you'd like to hear more, simply subscribe, stick around, and we'll take you around the world. In today's episode, I am going to talk about the different modes of travel. You really can go far with whatever you have. And I'm going to give you a lot of examples, short pieces from all over the world of people that are traveled by foot, through hikers that is, bicycles, motorcycles, two-wheel drive cars, four-by-fours, cars, vans, trucks of all sizes. You can really go wherever you want to go for the most part. And so with that in mind, there'll be trip reports from each of these options and hopefully it will inspire you to appreciate the vehicle you do have and how far you might be able to take it. So we'll have a full episode on each of the versions of Exploring the World later in the season. But for today, I'm going to drop in and we're going to talk about hiking. I'm going to introduce you to Anne-Marie Wells, whose first book and is coming out with Wild Dog Press. Full disclaimer, I run Wild Dog Press and it is based upon her hitching around Iceland looking for happiness. I'll talk about, I'll mention Cheryl Strayed, Bill Bryson and a fella I met recently called Moondog who is a through hiker on a skateboard. I'll also give you an example of someone rafting on a bicycle in France. Motorcycles, there are just so many motorcycles. Um, I'm going to give you a couple of options of people to look for as far as motorcycles. Um, Two-wheel drives, like I said, cars, um, for example, in, I drove a 1972 VW semi-automatic Beetle across the Continental Divide one July. And um, you should have seen the faces of all the Jeep guys coming down the hill as I was going up those mountain passes in this little green bug with a border collie called Daisy in the back seat. What else? Well, also, I mean, I have to say that right now I'm on location as such in a 2003 Dodge half-ton van, and I've been living and traveling in that. I've done over 65,000 miles exploring the southwest of the States and the northeast and the northwest and into Baja with two dogs and a cat. And we'll go into more detail about that another time. Four by fours. I'm going to give you an example of a trip report from Carla King when she drove her lifted decked out, tricked out Toyota Tacoma in Baja, taking the back roads from Mulahe to San Juanico. There are also Unimogs, ambulances, pretty much anything and everything. So that's what we've got today. I hope you stick around. Let's get started with the first offering. Happy Iceland by Anne-Marie Wells. The prologue. I froze, splayed across the slope, looking at the broken spires of the chain that was supposed to support me. The gravel slope leading to the corner of a cliff slid under my boots, nearly catapulting me into a ravine. I stabbed my walking stick into the loose stone and reached behind me with my left hand, grabbing hold of a rock that sliced open my palm. Who the fuck gets sued here when people fucking die? I screamed into the sky, as empty as the trail behind me. A bead of blood meandered down my wrist as I patted my pants side pocket to make sure the miniature cinnamon buns I'd stuffed inside it that morning had not suffered any in injury. I wiped the blood on my pant leg and peeled my rainbow duct tape from my walking stick to bandage the cut. 
I grabbed hold of the lousy chain again, forcing myself to trust it despite its recent betrayal. I would know its faults now. Keeping my attention on the sloped ground beneath my feet, I wished I wasn't alone. If I didn't make it safely around this cliff, no one would know. No one would know to look for my body here. And then, as if the universe had heard my thoughts, I was not alone. Whoa, where you come from? A young man with Harry Potter glasses and an unkept beard blinked, mouth agape, perhaps just as startled to see me as I was to see his. I am from Poland, he said. I stared into his face with the rusty chain clenched between my fists, a path about 30 feet long and barely wide enough to fit one foot in front of the other extended behind him. There was no way in hell I was climbing back up the slope I had just come down. Without negotiating, the Polish man and I began switching places while still clinging to the chain. I reached for the rusty links around the corner and pressed my body to the cliff face, forcing the Polish man to pass behind me. His backpack, I reasoned, so much larger than mine, would give him a better chance of a cushioned fall. His nervous breath, much louder, passed behind me. I had begun my journey at the Keflavik International Airport four weeks earlier with the plan of figuring out what it meant to be happy, icing Icelandic strangers about their happiest memories and trusting their answers would show me the way, would give me some insights into what I'd been doing wrong for so long. My journey had led me to an Icelandic stranger who told me she felt happy standing on this trail years earlier watching a volcano erupt. Now I was erupting with fear, with hope, with nothing to lose. Isn't it amazing, I said, how we are from two different continents, yet everything we've ever done in our lives up to now has led us to this moment right here, right now, he said, as we stood facing each other from the opposite directions than we had started from. Yeah, I said, I think we should kiss. And so begins this story from Anne-Marie, and um, we recently chatted on Zoom, and just wonderful, just such a great energy. And this book is going to be great. We're working, doing the editing right now, but we're going to publish it and it should be out soon. I will, of course, let you know. But yes, yeah, she, in her mid-twenties, I believe, took a flight over to Iceland and basically hitched around the country asking people where they were happy and they'd give her a memory. And from that memory of a specific place, she would then hitch to that place and explore it and then do it again, ask another stranger. And so it's a great premise and it's a great journey, both physically, the details of the places that she went, the people she met, and just her inner journey too, of the difference between when she arrived and when she came back to the States um, and how it had changed her. So Anne-Marie Wells and Happy in Iceland. There aren't many books around hitchhiking. I mean, I've written about it because it's something I've done a lot, not so much recently, but I did across the States when I first came at the age of 22. I hitched um, pretty much all the way over to the, over from New York up to Maine and then across ending up in LA. It took about six months and I would work and hitch and meet people. But you don't often find people writing about hitchhiking. So I did love that aspect of it. I also th- included it in this as far as um, traveling by foot. I thought it was a good example of traveling by foot because we're through hikers. And so I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the influence recently of, or well, the last decade or couple, of reading Cheryl Strayed and her book Wild and Bill Bryson, A Walk in the Woods. Both of those, I think, are uh, wonderful examples of 
long through hiking. You know, the challenges, the humor, the ups and downs, the physicality, all of it. And both of those are from people that went into it who were not hikers, who were not the outdoor, let's climb another 14er in um, Colorado type people. So I loved it. It made it very accessible. It made it very um, inspiring. And before I'd even read any of those, <clears throat> I have a vague memory of walking through the Welsh hills as a teenager with my friend Sarah Thompson. We did a mini through hike. There are paths there. And luckily for us, because, you know, it's Britain, England and Wales, there's really villages everywhere. <clears throat> and so we were lucky enough that um, we didn't have to take our camping gear, not as such, we could we would walk 10 to 20 miles a day through the Welsh hills, going, I think, south to north across the border. And there would always be a hotel or a hostel. And so we would stay in the hostels and then go out in the evening, go to the local pub, meet the locals, meet other through hikers. It's something that um, I did very little bit as a teenager. And now I'm thinking of doing it again. So I thought that was, these are some good ideas, um, Anne-Marie Wells, uh, Cheryl Strayed, and Bill Bryson, I recommend you look up. Here's another fun little piece that I thought I wanted to include, and it's um, from Moab, Utah, by Chris Weir-Weora, and as you'll see, it's about being in a boat. The first rule of rafting is to stay in the boat. The second rule of rafting is to stay in the boat. The third rule of rafting is to get back in the boat. That's a fun little way to start off your safety talk on the daily. But your passengers probably won't care to listen to the rest of it, since they'll be ready to float and hear you interpret the sights along the 14 miles of the Colorado River. As you easily row, your passengers won't be wrong to question whether the confluences with Onion and Professor Creeks are really actually whitewater rapids. These will feel more like sloshy riffles, some churning with phony peaks. This is a great time to distract them from the less adventurous some part of the ride and point out more of the landscape's peculiarities. Mention the salt seeps from the alkaline soils, which makes the water sudsy. However, note that the white seeps on the sandstone usually come from calcium carbonate, like limestone caves, that drip to form stalactites and stalagmites. Here, the red soils come from the iron-rich rocks, like blood penetrating air, the living land. The green rocks aren't oxidized like copper, though. These colorings characterize decomposition of organic matter, buried death. As you round the corner, it's wise not to spoil the ride by mentioning the soft pornography filmed a while ago at Sorrel Ranch, but use their riverside restaurant as a signal that you will land, land river right for lunch. Remind passengers that the ravens are crafty enough to entertain with barrel rolls and croaks for food. Passengers should not allow themselves to be tricked into giving anything away. On shore, say pants down and skirts up for where men and women should add their pee to the river, because downstream Phoenix needs it. So this comes from the Wanderlust Anthology of 2020. There'll be a link below. And it's just a fun little example of another way to wander around. And I believe you can do like three weeks and month long trips through the Grand Canyon by boat. And I've met another couple who I'll try to interview in one of these episodes. Sean West and Casey Kimberly, who travel by sailboat. So we'll get a hold of them at some point and we'll talk about them building their boat and what they're doing next. The next form of transport I wanted to give a little introduction to would be motorcycles. Um, Graham Jackson, who is part of the 7P training, vehicle training and camel trophy 
uh, Land Rover training people who um, just incredible. He said that bikers are usually more focused on the journey than the gear. And I would have to say that seems to be pretty true. And there's a lot of um, groundbreaking that goes along in the in the motorcycle world. And I have to say, I've met a lot of women doing it too. One I'll recommend um, who leads groups of women these days would be Tiffany Coates. She's a Brit, um, actually from the Malverns near me in England. And we worked it out when we were chatting at one of these overland festivals. uh, And we realized that we had both been playing field hockey for our high school teams around the same time and that we probably played each other. Her team probably won because our team was not very good. But um, anyway, so small world syndrome. I wanted to turn you also on to Michelle Lampere. Uh, she is up in North Dakota, South Dakota these days. Um, she wrote a great book about riding her motorcycle down from the States to Ushuaia. And also another one who I don't know that much about, but I just started to read, was Roshni Sharma. And so let's see what she has to say. So Roshni Sharma rode her first bike at the age of 16, and she didn't just stick locally. She um, really got caught up in it. And when she, a friend of hers told her about his own trip from North India to South India, she decided to do it herself. She wasn't put off by the fact that no other Indian women had done that or been a solo motorcycle like that. And she was the first one to drive, to ride her motorcycle from North India to South India. And... Um, one thing she says in a in an advert in a in an article I read online, there'll be the link below. And quote, I had to know about the routes and the weather. I learnt from my friend that only after summer does the Manali Pass open, and so I had to schedule my journey to after May. Also in June, many parts of the Kerala get rain, so I had to push off Kerala from my itinerary completely. Basically, in my entire journey, I never encountered rain. In fact, to know the routes, I just had to ask people around, talk to them for better ideas, and they were all very helpful. And she also wrote, as a woman in India, I am hounded around by society as to how it is unsafe to travel in India for a woman, and especially when she's alone. Hemmed in with uncertain weather in this country, I expected many people to raise their eyebrows at my adventures. My experiences, though, contradicted my expectations. I think she's great. I hope that she's written a book. I don't know that she has, but um, she's doing, she leads... um, motorcycle only five day trips um she's doing one in thailand or she's probably done it by this point um yeah so she's a great inspiration and a great resource and i think that someone worth getting to know and following her and seeing what else she's doing there is of course the people that like to ride and travel by bicycle here's just one really short little trip report from a woman, a British woman called Ruth McIntosh, and it's called Cycle Slowly Through Fields of Sunflowers. Years of multitasking took their toll on my health, and my husband's online affair with a Mexican beauty triggered divorce. I was free to follow my heart to glide through fields of gold on a bicycle. I started at the Bordeaux route, Le Canal de Deux de Mer à Velo. <laughs> Sorry, my French is gone, gone, gone. Anyway, stop. I started at the Carcassonne to Bordeaux route, Le Canal des Demeures de Mer à Vélo. 
At the time, I thought of it as a physical journey, yet it helped me move on in many other ways too. Cycling in France is much easier than you imagine. There are dedicated cycle routes, and many of these are completely traffic-free. I like to hire my bike whilst I am there, as it saves the hassle of dissembling, wrapping it up, and agonizing about maintenance. Slow travel allows me to take in the fresh air and beauty all around. The French encourage you to buy the best items at the patisserie and sip your coffee in comfortable silence. So why rush the simple things? I average 35 to 55 miles every day on flat terrain with no traffic, and I feel much better for it. A highlight at the end of one hot day was a cooling dip in the Loire, sitting down. There was a very strong current further out, so I stayed where it was shallow, and I watched the sun go down. What's good for the muscles is is food for the soul. French architecture and stonework is often grand. Real beauty takes time. At a bar in the central square one evening, a member of our group asked if the French upped the shabby chic artfully. No, they've been at it for a couple of thousand years or so. And the thought of the momental effort put into the shabby chic kept me amused for the rest of the holiday. Moving on every day becomes addictive when you do it. And for those of us still stuck in the daily grind, it gives us something exciting to look forward. And if you're in the lucky position of being newly retired, you can take your time. And so I like I wanted to include that just because, again, it's a very simple um, inspiration to go out and do something, do something different, push yourself. And also, this was another example of going on a tour, going with a group of you. So as much as I'm a proponent for traveling on your own and solo travels, I realized that some people do like company. So there's an option. And lastly, for today, uh, another trip report that I wanted to include. And again, this is a um, an American woman, uh, Carla King, who's actually very well known for um, being a writing guru and teaching people to write and helping them write the best and publish their own thing. But she, I met her through the motorcycle world and through overlanding because she was known for her knowledge of Baja. And she writes, or I don't know if she still does, but she wrote for discoverbaja.com. And this is one of the trip reports from that. She went traveling down there on her own in a tricked out Tacoma with a board and decided to go from Mulhe across to San Juanico. And there's the long way round that's paved, which I would have to do in my Dodge van because that's only a two-wheel drive, or there's the back road, it's called the East Road. And so here we go. I turned in and this is where it started to get interesting. Up until now, I would definitely recommend this route to big adventure bikers. In fact, it's an easy introduction to dirt for any size dual sport. Personally, I'd have no problem riding it on my KLR 650, but I would not recommend big bikes attempt this next stretch. Go ahead and take some photos during this water crossing, but turn back and take the highway to San Juanico. I didn't see anything bigger than a KTM 500 in the next two hours, and I didn't wonder why. It would simply be too much work and frankly dangerous. The water crossing was no problem as it's very shallow, but it was immediately followed by a steep hill skittery with loose, big loose rocks. On my way up, I saw that a couple of motorcycles had heard me coming and pulled off because the road narrows and they knew there was no way I could safely stop on the steep uphill once I got going. For motorcycles, going downhill and slippery stuff takes some skill to control the bike. You have to stand up, lean back and work the back and front brakes to stay steady as you roll with your front front wheel bouncing this way and that on the bigger rocks. So it's better when there are no additional obstacles. Personally, downhill on loose rock is my biggest challenge when I'm off-road motorcycling. 
Once up that hill, however, the road levelled out, though it could get narrow in spots. It was much rockier than the road to La, P La Purisma, and it had a few spots that slowed me down to a crawl. The road climbed, and for long moments I could see the Pacific. Strangely, all the motorcyclists were heading south, and each time I'd heard them, I'd pull over and stop. The fact that no one was overtaking me gave me pause. Why was everyone coming from San Juanico to La Parisma and nobody going the other direction? I wondered if there was an obstacle ahead that even the spikes couldn't navigate. After a while, I recognised my mind looping on useless low-grade worry and told myself to stop. I was an hour in when I faced a water crossing and wondered if this would be where I'd have to turn back. Walking the break, I saw two ways to cross. The first was a ledge on the far right that the motorcyclist definitely used, but that was just barely too narrow for the Tacoma. The only other option was to skinny through the boulders, drive down into the water and bump up the other side. The problem was that the old concrete foundation had broken and was jutting slightly up and over the natural ramp. I measured the width of the I measured the height, the height of it with my arm against the height of the tyre and it came to just below the middle. I figured if I couldn't make it, I could back up with some difficulty without a spotter the way I'd come and turn around. I got back in the Tacoma, took a deep breath and inched down. So I love that because it's a very hands-on practical. So if you're going to take that route you or you're curious as to whether you could take that route finding trip reports and this kind of travel writing really gives you the insider information some of the challenges to expect um, some of the skill level and the training needed and the knowledge of your vehicle and your own capabilities and so that's something that's going to come up in a future episode future me as my friend Alexis would say future me will talk about that another time about the training and how to be um how to have vehicle sympathy, as Graham Jackson would say. How to know your vehicle and know your skill levels. And so in, uh, in an upcoming episode, we will talk about vehicles in more specifics and training. And we'll take it from there. There are, of course, tons of resources for these things. Um, I am going to give a lot of the links to the people that I've read from today, their various stories, and I'm going to give some resources. Overland Expo is a great one in the States. Um, there are online forums, Facebook groups, Instagram, YouTube, um, with all kinds of stories and videos and podcasts uh, that give you information, a sense of community, some inspiration. And... Um, I mean, for example, when I went to Baja last winter, I was a little worried about what it'll be like going through the border or what it'll be like going through a checkpoint. And so when I went through one of the checkpoints that a lot of people wrote negatively about, I ended up surreptitiously videoing it, uh, the interaction, and then posting it online to some of these groups just to show that it really wasn't a big deal. The, the fellows with their guns strapped to them, the military, they was fine. They were polite, they were helpful, they were funny. And it was, you know, I, I hope that, and it seems from the feedback I got, that little video clips like that and when we help each other by what we write and by what we share, um, it gives other people permission. So, Again, my focus on these, on this podcast is to inspire you with different stories or what people are doing and to give you some inspiration and some permission for traveling the whatever you want, however you want, whether it's by foot or in vehicle, whether it's tricked out or not, you can do it. And my best advice is to just do your research, get inspired and get out there. <music>